Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Love is in the air as Valentine's Day approaches, and it will be in full flower Sunday afternoon as the St. Louis Chamber Chorus presents its fourth concert of this 62nd season. It's titled, appropriately enough, Love Dances. The concert will be a little bit different, and here to tell us all about it is Chorus Artistic Director Philip Barnes and Francis Pott. He is a composer and professor of music, as well as chair of composition at the London College of Music and Media. And he has come to St. Louis to hear a world premiere performance of his composition, Ardor Amoris. I hope I pronounced that correctly or come close. Yes, entirely correct. Oh, very good. Francis Pott joins us in studio along with Philip Barnes. Thank you so much for being with us. Francis, nice to have you thank with us. I know you're just experiencing a little jet lag, maybe having just come in, but thank you for coming by. Thank you. So let me start. Uh, let me start with you, Philip, um, with regard to a program of love music. How do you go about programming something like that? Love is everywhere. It's an almost all music. Well, I wouldn't say all music, but yes, but you're right. Much. It's it's a pretty good motivator for composers yeah. and yeah. certainly poets. So I I knew that we had to do a concert in the middle of February. I know obviously when St. Valentine's Day is. And although the choir is typically a cappella, no instruments, I've been doing this for nearly 30 years. So I said to my board, I think I've earned the right to have the odd instrument this time. So in a rare departure, we are going to perform music with piano, in fact, two pianos and percussion. And uh, once you have that in the mix, there's a lot more repertoire for you to go and look at. So I chose the wonderful Love Song Waltzes by Johannes Brahms that I've loved since being an undergraduate and always wanted to do them. And also a piece by a woman composer who's Missouri-born but now has lived much of her life in Santa Barbara, California. That's Emma Lou Diemer. And her piece is called Agnus Dei and it's needs two grand pianos and percussion and we have commissioned a dance for it because this as you said is called love dances and so rachel Savello from washington university has put together a troupe of six dances and it's a pretty wonderful thing to see and hear and then after that we have uh, a set of rilke settings who was a very passionate poet of course most people think that he wrote in German, being German, but he also wrote French poetry, particularly French love poetry. And so there's a setting by the California-based composer Morton Lauridsen called Les Chansons des Roses, and we'll be performing that cycle. And I needed a piece that would then sort of complement all of that. So I turned to Francis Pott for a new cycle of love songs, knowing that he would be more than up for the challenge. Well, Francis, I I'm, would have to imagine you're pretty excited because this is the first time it's going to be performed in public, correct? Uh, yes, indeed. It's always exciting to have a, a premiere, and I'm very grateful to Philip for affording me the opportunity to do this. Um, it's uh, a departure for me in some ways because I think it's fair to say I've become known for writing sacred choral music. Mm -hmm. And so a different set of challenges open up uh, opens up when you're thinking of... Uh, mainstream poetry because you have to respect the text in a different way and in particular to make it entirely audible a lot of devotional text may be repeated a great deal and you can assume that those who are hearing it are already quite familiar with it but when it's poetry you have to uh, respect all the imagery in it and somehow still maintain structural control of the whole thing if you simply responded to all the words moment by moment with images that seem to match, 
then you might end up with something that on purely musical terms didn't add up to a structure. Mm. So I had to work with the text in a way that in some sense preserved a sense of overarching unity despite having six different poets, um, but also that respected the moment-by-moment imagery in those poems. And two of the poems are very, very short, um, whereas at either end there is a sonnet, which is quite a big chunk of text to set to music. So there was a, a potential imbalance there, which I had to think about quite carefully before setting it. It sounds terrifically complex to me. Um, it, it has its complexities. I think Philip would uh, agree that the music is quite challenging to perform. Not I, to listen to. I, I would no, hope. I don't think so. I think it's very approachable, actually, to listen to. Well, thank you. I, I, I mean, one hopes always that something will seem to promise that it will it will reward repeated listening. But if that is the case, you've got to invite a second try. It's no good keeping your secrets if nobody bothers a second time. So I hope very much the music will be performed more widely in the future. Is it uh, more difficult to write the music of love than sacred music, or are they the same thing? Wow, how long have you got? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not more difficult, but difficult in a different way, I think. Um, If you're writing love poetry, I think you are partly speaking to the condition of mankind, but there is something intrinsically uh, intimate about it as well, and you want to, uh, to speak to the individual as well as articulating some kind of truth about the human condition. And it, it is tricky when you're traversing wide ranges of, of, of history because there is Shakespeare at the beginning, there's James Elroy Flecker in the mm-hmm. fifth position of the six songs. And so, you know, that's several centuries and a good deal that lies between. There's some Emily Dickinson, there's uh, Robert Herrick, the uh, 17th century cleric, mm-hmm. composer, uh, uh, poet, um, and they're both very fleeting, and so that 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 they had to be in some way put back to back, and um, they almost form a unity within the within the overall piece. But the language is so different over these uh, generations and even centuries. The rhythm of language changes, and I guess that's something you have to contend with. You you do, and I, it it would be wrong to pretend other than that you have to replace the poetic rhythms of verse with a kind of rhythm of your own. You can't avoid doing that. And there are times when you want to re- repeat things in the, within the text for, for emphasis, maybe. Um, an example would be the second poem where it, it, it speaks in, in that instance of forbidden love. And the line, I must not think of thee, um, it suddenly occurred to me that I could make something contradictory and yet perhaps meaningful out of that if I repeated the line with a word missing um, each time at the end of the poem. So it's, I must not think of thee, must not think of thee, think of thee, of thee, thee. And you end up doing exactly what you'd said you wouldn't do. And so I, 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 there, there is a, I, I mean, I mentioned that in a way to illustrate that there is a kind of opportunism, opportunism active in one's compositional re- uh, response that you, 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 you see an opportunity and you take it and it may not be what the poet had in mind but it's a viable gloss on the original. Well you have a certain amount of freedom and creativity but regardless of what the poet might have had in mind obviously. Yes. Th- that's the yes. way it should be. Philip, uh, what sort of a challenge does this present for the, uh, for the chorus? Well, I should say, first of all, that one of the reasons why Francis is the right person for this commission is that we were asking for a piece 
to be written by somebody who really understands the human voice and choirs, and Francis does that, and for a while was a member of the choir at Winchester Cathedral. But he's also a professional pianist, so he really understands how to write for the piano as an independent instrument. So the challenge for us was not only the writing. Uh, the writing is, is demanding for us because we, we can't take our eyes off it for a second because Francis is always weaving in and out the different textures. But also uh, it's very demanding for our pianist. I should really sing the praises of Lansin uh, Lim Kimler because she's doing an extraordinary job uh, of realizing this wonderful new music, but also coordinating it with us. So my job is to try and keep them all together and express what Francis has written on the page. That's the challenge, I think. What about rehearsal? Have you had much time to uh, to work with this? Well, we rehearse once a week, and my job, again, is to find repertoire that I think stretches us but doesn't overreach us. So we've been working on this for probably about five weeks. And you haven't been here long enough, Francis, to uh, have worked with the chorus yet at all, I assume. Not at all, no. That's for tomorrow. <laughs> he gets to hear the dress rehearsal and say you're doing yes. it all wrong. Oh. No, I <laughs> oh, wouldn't Lord. say that. No. No. Well, let's, let's uh, give our audience an opportunity to hear something uh, else that you've done. Obviously, this world premiere, we're not going to preempt uh, that. But uh, tell us about what we have uh, in store for us from, uh, and that we have a clip of. Uh, yes, certainly. Um, Balula Low is a, a, a Scottish um, 17th century equivalent of lullaby, really. And so it is a lullaby, but it's also actually a nativity poem. So today it's a little unseasonal, but it will give an idea of the sort of sound I make. And um, it's uh, a nativity portrait, really, in the same sort of way that the great painters of the past um, exercised. And so it's a simple verse followed by another verse which is a sort of variant of the first one and with a soprano soloist who then enters and floats a kind of descant over the top and then it ends very peacefully. We can hear some of that.
that is so very pretty and so very soothing. <laughs> really, it just kind of puts you in something of a trance. It's lovely. Oh, thank you very much. Well, that's, I guess, the intention, but uh, not, not, not always. One can't guarantee that one will realize it, so I'm very glad if that happens occasionally. I, I think you have. I wish we had, had time for more. What, what is your role once the composition is finished? Are you finished <laughs> with it? Or do you, do you ever conduct? Do you ever have any participation at all in the uh, actual performing of the music? Oh, I see. Well, um, I mean, in a general sense, I think the composer steps back when they've finished a work. And I think it is then um, that the text is a template for interpretations by any number of people. And the poetry in, in the music resides in the spaces between the notes, in a sense. And so it's not for the composer to say any more than they've already said in print. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't go to a rehearsal and have a fruitful exchange or that the conductor might on occasion say to you, is this what you meant? And you can say yes or no. And sometimes you might change your mind about something and a note might be altered. I tend to be pretty pragmatic if someone says, look, this is more difficult than it's worth the trouble to do. Uh, that has very occasionally happened. And I think one should be flexible and humble in the face of uh, the, the the experience and knowledge that comes from performers. But then, as a pianist myself, I have some insight into that as well. Philip, how much freedom do you feel you have when you're performing something, particularly when the composer <laughs> is looking over your shoulder? Uh, I've always thought that our responsibility is to bring to life what is in the head of the composer. So unless there's a pressing practical reason why something won't work or probably isn't going to achieve the result that I think the composer wants, I tend to be pretty strict on following what the composer is asked to do. Uh, I get to change certain amounts of speed. Sometimes I might change the dynamics a little because I think they've missed an opportunity to make a dramatic point. But I, I try to respect the composer's wishes. We only have a, a little more than a minute left. But I, in this part of the conversation, some of the love songs, as I've seen the program, are reworked by Brahms, or are you re reworking Brahms? No, they're reworked by Brahms. By Brahms. It's his, his take on a set of anonymous poems that he sets to waltzes. And nobody quite knows whether it's because he was in love with Johann Strauss's waltzes, which were contemporary with him, or he just finished conducting some Schubert waltzes before he wrote this cycle. So nobody quite knows why he was so drawn to the waltz. But if anybody is unaware that Brahms wrote beautiful waltzes, this is the concert for them because they're absolutely wonderful and memorable. Are, are they well known? Uh, somewhat. Uh, they're sometimes performed in an orchestral arrangement without any voices. But to me, that's like seeing a great movie that was shot in color, seeing it in black and white. So I think you have to hear the words. Right. Well, it's going to be quite an event uh, on Sunday. That's at 3 o'clock. Uh, 3 o'clock, that's 3 right. 3 o'clock yes. on Sunday. And it's the 560 Music Center in University City. That's right, at the top of Del Mar by the Lions. Yeah. Uh, Francis, what do you expect your emotion to be as you hear your composition for the first time? Oh, goodness. Well, I've always found as a performer that the kind of nerves you get then are much more rational than those of a composer. And so I think apprehension, not because of the performers, <laughs> but simply because um, it's that thing that Yeats said about tread softly because you tread on my dreams. <laughs> so uh, just hoping that uh, the, the result realizes my own intentions 
uh, in the sense that the composition is what I meant, not that the performance fails to satisfy. Sure, sure it's going to be great. A reminder that uh, the Francis Spot composition and the chorus concert Love Dances performed Sunday at 3 o'clock at the Music Center in 560 Music Center in University City. Thank you both so much for being with us. Great to have you. I'm sure it's going to be a great concert. Thanks. We'll be back with you again on Monday. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. St. Louis on the Air, a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh. Thank you.